Welcome to the Storytellers and Wild Creatives podcast. I am your host, Sage Adderley, and my first cup of coffee just hit. So let's go. Okay, I am super pumped today because I have a guest. That's right, you don't have to just listen to my voice on this episode. I am so excited that I get to introduce you to Marina Raiden. I'm going to read you her online bio, um, but then I'm going to tell you who she is to me. I want you to get the facts and then also hear my gushing of why I adore her so much. So this is off of her Amazon bio. Marina Raiden's published works of fiction include a compilation of novellas, One Year in Berlin slash Foreign Bride, a suspense novel entitled Joe After Maya, as well as a two-part series, Effortless. Born in the former Soviet Union, Marina grew up in Brooklyn, New York. She holds a JD from New York Law School and a BA in history from Pace University. She's an avid music fan, a cat lover, and an enthusiastic learner of American Sign Language. Whenever she isn't writing, Marina enjoys spending time with her family, catching up on Netflix, and baking. Now, all of that is very rad. And now I want to tell you why I like her so much. So first, I got, I, just, I can't wait to say hi to you, Marina. So hi, Marina. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited. How long have we known each other? I was trying to do the math and then it got complicated. <laughs> From the very first time I reached out to you, um, it was definitely before I moved out of Brooklyn and that's been eight years. So I would say 10, at least 10. Yeah. I was going to say eight to 10. So at least my, I was, my math was somewhere on the right, right track. So when you first reach out to me, it was to support you with book marketing for effortless. Yeah. And then I don't know what happened, but we just stuck together. We were yep. just like, we like each other. We stuck together. We stayed friends online. And you've always been someone that I've really appreciated because, I mean, if anybody listens to any of my podcast episodes, you know that I adore people who show up as themselves. Like, if you were to if you were to read about them online and then meet them in person, they're the same human. There's like no surprises. And you've always been that person where it's like you're super authentic, you're funny, like I feel like you got a wild flair. <laughs> <laughs> you're a truly good human. And you just can't have enough of like really good humans in your life. So that's who you are to me. As well as I got to, I feel like I got to be behind the curtain on year one, which is your Seriously, it's been a dream of mine to, to work with you in this capacity. Um, and I'm so excited that, you know, you were the editor on this because this was like, this is the most personal project of mine, something I've been sitting on for ages and I had a lot of insecurities about it. I was trying to develop the guts for it. And then I really wanted to get it right on, on all aspects. Yes. So, yes. Um, and like, and, and like you said, like for some reason we stuck together all these years, like you meet people sometimes in your life where you never met them in real life. We live on different coasts, but 
something about them just clicks mm-hmm. like creatively like it's the same with uh with the artist who created my my cover for year one Anna Abramson we also we met completely randomly online and then we started chatting mm-hmm. and then we kept finding all these similarities and all these things we agree on and it's like some people you just click and you're like this was meant to be we need to stick together so it's the same with you so I'm so so happy and so thankful that you worked with me on this it was Uh, really good well first let me say your book cover is freaking awesome it's gorgeous it's like I mean it's beautiful I'm gonna make a little story about it right no no I feel like I might have read something online but tell us um so the cover is actually based on the very first picture I took in America, literally like a week or two in, no no more than that, because I remember we still lived at my grandma's and we only lived there for about two weeks. So it has to have been, it's probably 29 years ago to the day. Wow. <laughs> um, and I wanted her to use that, but because I tried fictionalizing it a bit, you know, so people don't disown me, I decided to, I wanted her to like keep one side more like photographic and the other more like mysterious yeah us oh it's gorgeous colors it's absolutely gorgeous went inside my head and did exactly what I envisioned and even better so (laughs) no it's beautiful I'm gonna make sure there are links with this episode folks so folks get to witness this beautiful cover because it is it's like I mean, I had seen it several times, of course, but then when I was like going on Amazon to to grab your bio, I was like, damn, that's a good cover. That is a good yeah. cover. I like it. It's, I mean, it's intriguing in itself. It's like, whoa, what's year one? Tell me yeah. this. Who is this giddy kid on the cover? Who is this kid? <laughs> <laughs> well, working on year one with you, I fell in love with that kid. And I mean, really like- Okay, first, before I gush, because I when I love something, I just gush about it because I'm just like, hold on, let me open my heart and just tell you all the things. So tell us what year one is about. So year one is about my first year in America. I came here um, June 26, 1994. So that's the day the narrative starts. And it ends late June of 95. So it's literally uh, my first year in America. I came at the age of 11 and I turned 12 within the first couple of months. Uh, So as you can imagine, it's not the most opportune age. (laughs) You change everything about your life. Yeah. So you're in middle school, you're a tween, you know, no language, you know, no culture, and my family was fractured. My uh, my sister stayed behind and we were growing into a completely new family dynamic, which irrevocably changed everything in my family forever, truly. Um, it altered relationships. And uh, that year was so formative for, for the longest time. I used to say as a joke that if I could go back in time, I would like surgically remove that year. Because it brought me so much heartache and so much shame. For some reason, I realize now that I felt a lot of shame about it because everything about it just felt so hard. And my father has put in so much time to make me feel a little more prepared in school, which, you know, (laughs) exercise and frustration and just 
completely thankless job. Um, and I felt so bad for having to put him through it along with me um, that I felt shame for the longest time. Um, and as I was, so I was literally like I was sitting on this for the longest time. And I, um, I had a friend from high school um, who I remember years ago when I would tell her, like, I really want to write about this. Mm-hmm. This was ages ago, like probably like going on 15 years. And I remember she would say, you should, I would read that. Yeah. And I would always go back to that voice. And I actually like emailed her recently and um, I said, hey, I don't know if you remember saying that, but <laughs> I did I, it. <laughs> I kept going back like that, like re- truly kept me going. She said, I would read that. And for some reason, that simple phrase yeah. kept like nudging me. Um, so I finally, after writing and rewriting the first chapter for like at least a decade, I sat down and I wrote the whole thing. <laughs> it was like, there's, it was a roller coaster ride of emotions. Did somebody say that in one of your reviews? I, I feel like, so. okay. I was going to say, it was like, yes, that's it. Because I would, I mean, you're funny. And so like there was, I was laughing so much at just. That's my favorite thing that I see so far, like consistently in reviews, hilarious and heartbreaking. And I'm like, that is actually the best way to describe it. Like, it's funny, but it's also sad. But also I was like, there were times when we were working together that I would leave notes like, oh, this is painful. Like, I'm so sad. I'm so sorry you experienced this. And, And then there was like these moments. It was so to me, that's life, right? It's like the ups and the downs. And that's what made year one so beautiful to me is it's real. Like this is a human experience. And because you're laughing and then you're you're just like grabbing your heart like, oh, God, why? (laughs) Yeah, like uh, not to give any giveaways, but yes, there is spoilers rather. There was a bit about angina. And I think that's hilarious looking back at it. I don't know if others will agree, but like reading and rereading and editing and re-editing every time, like, cause it's a very heavy chapter. Yeah. The first part of it is very, very heavy. And then this was a very, very true story. I wanted to go home and I told the nurse I had angina and I meant one thing without knowing that in English, it means something completely different. <laughs> and that still makes me laugh. <laughs> I'm like, why are you so scared? Doesn't everyone have angina? It's like, no, no, you weird child. What is wrong with you? (laughs) We need to get you to the doctor ASAP. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. Yeah. I mean, it was a, it was a wild, it was a wild ride to witness just your experience and the way that we got to witness things through your eyes, your young eyes. Because like you said, that's such a, speaking of awkward, like such an awkward time for all of us. And for you, especially coming to a new country, not knowing the culture. And I mean, just the, when I would read about how different the schooling was. Yeah. And, and having to get adjusted to that. And then the, the language, it was just like, you had so many more things to deal with than the average tween. Yeah, like that's on top of the hormones and, and all the awkwardness that comes for all of us. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I had mentioned to you before that 
the majority of the women that I work with when I mentor them in writing their book, um, they're writing nonfiction. And most of the nonfiction books are some kind of memoir. And I think the biggest challenge they face is that vulnerability piece of how much do I tell? Do I like, what if I expose someone? Will they get mad at me? Worried about the backlash before they've even gotten the words on the paper. And my advice always for nonfiction writers, that especially are writing super tender personal things is write your first draft as if no one's going to read it. Mm-hmm. Allow yourself to not put your words through a filter because even if you decide not to keep it, I think there's power in releasing. Oh, for sure. You know, absolutely. So how was this for you when you're writing these personal bits, not only about yourself, but about your other family members? Did you ever, which I'm sure that's like a silly question, of course, how was it? And tell me about the things that came up for you that you were kind of worried about, like, Ooh, maybe I shouldn't write about this, but then tell me more. So terrifying for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just wanted to uh, circle back for a second yeah. to what you said about the first draft. I read a quote somewhere and I don't know, don't remember who who originated it, but the first draft is the story you tell yourself. Mm-hmm. And to me, like, that's really true. Like the first one is like the most rough, just like, just go through it. Yep. Uh, and so, yes, couple things. So, like I said, my my first year is when everything changed in my family, like fundamentally. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we truly ever came back, even when things, you know, evened out. Um, I will caveat this with one thing. My mom does not read English, so that, <laughs> there <we go. laughs> uh, that made it a little easier. But my concern was... Um, family members reading it, my sister reading it. Um, So the biggest thing that I kept telling myself is this is my story. We have every single member of my family lived through that year in parallel. We have all experienced similar events, but completely differently. So I do not exclude the possibility that and no, as a parent, actually, I do get it that for my mom, this year was something entirely different. and she sees and remembers it differently and it's not right or wrong but it's her story this is my story this is how I lived it Mm -hmm. and it's important for me to tell it the way I lived it and the way it truly formed me because Mm -hmm. having this is such a therapeutic experience writing this truly like it's been so cathartic to the point of um that bullying chapter Mm -hmm. um that it was so raw that every time I would write it, rewrite it, edit it, go over edits, my watch would give me exercise minutes. <laughs> my pulse would actually like jump up. Like, so it means it's real, you know? Yeah, like you're feeling real. it. Uh, so it's it's been incredibly good for my mental health and my self, self-analysis. Like, I feel like it explained to me certain ways like my relationship with my parents Mm -hmm. my relationship with my children like it makes more sense now that I got it out on paper yeah things I react to things that as much as 
you know, I say we overuse the word trigger, but yeah, certain things that trigger me. Yeah. Um, they all go back to that. Um, there was, um, when I do like I, on my blog, I run author interviews and one of my favorite questions to ask is when was the first, what was the first experience when you truly realized that words have power? Mm. And I ask that because I know exactly the moment that happened for me. And that happened that year one when I was upset and I was scared and I told my mom something that she then went and used in an argument with my dad to support her cause. And I didn't mean it. I I was scared. I was frustrated. And I was a kid. And my words were used for something else. And to this day, I'm never 100% genuine with my mom. Yeah. And it sucks. And I understand that it came from that, like that whole bullying thing. Mm-hmm. I never, to this day, I never told her. She doesn't know that happened. Wow. She just wow. thinks I went home because of, you know, angina. <laughs> I was going to say, was it the angina? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, because I was afraid. I was afraid yeah. that she would use that for her cause. And it's not to accuse her of any malfeasance, but she lived a different reality than I did. Yeah. Um, so that would be the biggest, I guess, advice that I would give. Just remember that even if someone will get offended, first of all, that doesn't make them right, but it also doesn't make them wrong because it's entirely possible they live that same situation differently. Yeah. And there are there is more than one truth. Um, so just stay true to that. Will you potentially need to smooth out some edges i i did yeah i took out some things that i felt were too exposing of family members that really did not add to my story right it would yeah be more for just you know embellishment and it wasn't necessary mm-hmm. so it really wasn't part of my story uh they did exist in the very first draft but they did not make it out into the world yeah um and just to preserve privacy of some people that's why I call it a fictionalized memoir I changed some identifying things Mm -hmm. like names backgrounds um and I condense certain things so like the the timelines are not always exactly the way okay um, it happened and I feel like you know for my conscience that (laughs) helps me a little bit yeah um but the main thing is write what you live through not somebody else yeah because that's your truth that's your experience yeah and and I love that you're saying there no one's right or wrong here and there's not a good or bad it's just this was my experience this is my takeaway this is when I was in this situation these are the feelings that came up like that is your truth and you know I and the older I get the more I witness this is that you can have an experience with someone and then when you listen to their takeaway, you're like, wow, that yeah. I, I experienced something totally different. And mm-hmm. so it's, it just shows you that you, you know, our truth is our truth and someone else is having their own experience and that's their experience. So yeah, they can coexist totally. Yeah. And I think when you reach that level of understanding you communicate with people in an entirely different way because you're not trying to be right and you're not trying to make people wrong. You're just standing for your voice. Like, this is what I experienced and I hear you. I hear that that's what you experienced and this is my experience. Um, Because I think if we don't claim that this is my story, 
then we're constantly going to be putting our words through a filter to appease everybody. Exactly. Absolutely. Because, uh, and that's really stopped me for such a long time. Yeah. Um, and I feel like it was probably the right time. I, you know, everything happens for a reason. I probably needed to marinate on this for longer. Um, but I got so much out of it. Like I understand myself mm. so much more. Like I understand why I am so overprotective about my kids' schooling and their experience. Yeah. Uh, I understand why I don't always tell 100% of my truth to my mother. Mm -hmm. um, these, I wouldn't, I don't think I would have truly understood these things without having gone through, you know, a whole bunch of drafts and yeah. two plus years of writing this. So I truly highly recommend it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think I, you know, I always say like, when you write your manuscript, you're A, even if it's your own story, you're not going to put everything in the first draft. The first draft is just like, I always say it's like this dump that you're trying to get in some kind of structure so that at least when you get to the next draft, you're kind of like, oh, I see where I was going with this. Yeah. <laughs> but your story flow could, of course, shift. But um, but what I find is that a lot of folks who are not sure about, should I say this? Should I go into that kind of detail? And when they give themselves permission to just write all the things in the first draft, more times than not, when they get to the second draft, they already know, like when they reread it, they're like, like you said, okay, I wrote it and it's real, but it's really not necessary. Like yeah. what would keeping it actually do for the book? Yeah. And so, and then sometimes come people come around to the second draft and they're like, oh, I'm keeping that. That's my truth. Yeah. yeah. That's and, if, and if that truly affected their path and the story they're telling, then yeah, it belongs there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why we have multiple drafts of a book. It's like we get to like unravel this idea. We sit down and we type out a manuscript and it's like, boom, I finished. It's like, that's not what writing a book looks like. No, not, in, not even close <laughs> on my book printer because I like I, I still like to like print out and like physically go oh, through yeah. things. Oh, that poor printer. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Therese. I do, you know, go both sides of the page. <laughs> sorry, Therese. I know. It's a thing. I think I don't know if it's just like the era that we grew up within of having that that print copy and that's familiar to us, but I'm the same way. I need to touch it. Like I can read books on Kindle, but God, I need a paperback. You know, it's, yeah. I, need, I can do both, but there's something about the paper. I need it. Well, editing in particular, like, I feel like I, like, I, something about the tactile aspect of it. Yeah. I don't know if there's some neurological explanation to it, but like, I don't know, it sometimes it just clicks better. <laughs> no, and I hear that often. And a lot of my clients will print out their whole manuscript. And so I think there is something to be said for holding it and being with it. It, it is different when you're working on a computer versus hands-on. I'm always going to be that hands-on visual person, always. Yeah. For sure. So, oh my gosh. So now that the book's released, the book was out last week. Yep. Holy moly. So celebrating you. Um, What's it been like to have now other people read it? 
it's kind of feedback have you gotten? I am so excited. I'm interrupting you. No, no, no. We're both like, (laughs) this is so amazing. (laughs) I've honestly, like I've written before, but I've never been this invested. Yeah. Um, And it's just like, it's so, it's so personal and so special. And this is the most, like I've talked about it because in the past I'm like, yeah, I write. (laughs) And I mean, I do have a bit of an imposter syndrome. I feel like a lot of immigrant kids do, but this one, I think I own the most, like, like, yeah, I tell people about it and uh, we had a launch party and it was really neat. Um, a lot of people came out and I did a little reading. I realized it's a good thing I did not narrate my book because ooh, I, I was like, I didn't think I was nervous, but I was reading a little too fast now that I look back at some videos and people were like, why don't you narrate your book? I'm like, nobody wants to listen to like nine hours of this. Like, <laughs> oh, uh, let someone who knows how to use their tongue properly do it. <laughs> Did you just witness me? (laughs) Yeah, like, no, like, really? (laughs) Uh, But it was fun. It was interesting because um, I guess, like, the assumption is because it's written about, um, you know, refugee wave that, like, mostly immigrants would gravitate to it. And I don't think that's necessarily true. Mm -hmm. Um, On on one hand, it's highly relatable to... um, to immigrants, particularly of that immigration wave, or even if they came at a different time, they came at a similar age. Mm -hmm. And the byproduct I see so far from immigrant kids who've read it is the memories it prompts in them and the conversations we have, like they reach out and they, and like, they want to compare notes and like, (laughs) and and it's like things that they thought they forgot, but Mm -hmm. now having read it, like they remember it and like the bananas, the bananas, like the coffee shop where we had um, uh, the launch party, they even made a latte, year one latte, which is a banana based latte, (laughs) which I guess was perfect. And it was so delicious. It was awesome. Um, (laughs) But it was fun because a lot of um, non, like, you know, third, fourth generation Americans came. And it's interesting to see like their reactions to like the, the chapter I wrote was when um, I wanted to keep it a little light. Mm-hmm. So it was the one where um, we went to the post office uh, looking for envelopes, which a post office does not sell. <laughs> like, <laughs> does not make sense like what do you mean? Do not sell envelopes like that is weird and, and then like stationery sold at a pharmacy and it's interesting to hear like oh wow so that was a thing for you like it's things that people like would have yeah. never thought would be weird to a newcomer yeah um and it was like it was a nice like mix of people who came from like different walks of life mm-hmm. and different ages and different backgrounds um one lady who came out she's she's reading it um she started reading it she she reached out to me she said that it reminded her that at that age she was actually tutoring a russian immigrant oh wow uh, and she had totally kind of forgotten about that that piece but all of a sudden she's like wait a minute that was like the same age <laughs> uh, so she was like comparing things of that um so it's it's been like really cool so far to hear feedback yeah see people come out and people are getting like a couple of um books as gifts for for their families um another interesting byproduct of this experience is 
um, there's a friend they talk about, the first friend they made who was uh, French speaking and did not speak English. Mm -hmm. and I didn't speak English. <laughs> and then I didn't speak French. Uh, so our friendship was very basic and it was very real, mm -hmm. but even though we couldn't communicate. Um, and uh, my husband, who's always afraid of like reading my stuff, because he's like, he's afraid of like finding himself or whatnot. I'm like, right. you really won't find yourself here. You're good. <laughs> uh, and he's reading it and he's really loving it. And like, that's a that's big from him because like yeah. he he's the guy who like thinks he's doing you a favor if he like finds something for you to fix like but so far like he, he it's genuine like I know that's not right. natural so <laughs> uh, but he actually asked me he's like are you still in touch with that girl and I'm like no as soon as I was transferred out of that class I had a lot of transfers that year we lost touch and he's like do you have your yearbook I'm like I do it's like look her up so I did I mean it took this many years I mean I graduated middle school in 1996 wow. and I never I've been on Facebook since 2005 right right <laughs> I never thought of this I looked her up it was super easy and she remembers me and I remember her and we're like back in touch and we're talking and I have to thank this process for it wow and That's honestly, amazing. I don't know if I left the same impact on her as she did on me. Like, no. I don't know if she would be writing a book, if she would write about this, you know, weird girl, but she left an impact on me and it's, uh, and it was a very positive one. Like I was able to go to the lunchroom with someone who she kept referring to me as her sister. She would tell everybody like, we're sisters. <laughs> uh, and it was, I felt good. Yeah. And uh, there weren't many moments, especially, I mean, the whole year was hard, but like, particularly like the first six months of school were like excruciating. Right. So there weren't many moments where I just felt good and she helped me feel good. And if it wouldn't be for this process, I would not have even like think that I could find her, but I did. That's beautiful. Is, it's neat. That's an unexpected yeah. byproduct. That's awesome. I always tell my writers, I'm like, you never know what doors are going to open when you publish your book. Like you just don't, you can't even foresee the things that will happen. And it's like, you probably would have never thought I'm going to reconnect with her. I'm going to find her. Yeah. That did not even cross my mind. It was just someone from my past, someone I could still picture perfectly in my mind, but I never like, yeah, I don't know her name. And he's like, what do you mean? You don't know your name. You have your yearbook. Like, duh. <laughs> like wow and then like when when like I looked her up and I see we have a friend in common and it's also someone who went to our middle school so I'm like okay definitely has to be her and I'm like do you remember me and she's like yes of course I remember you it's me your sister <laughs> that's so awesome so now you I mean you've invested well a lifetime in this book but like you've invested a decade of at least of wanting to write this and writing it and working on it. What does it feel like to hold it, to see yourself on the cover? It's complete. How does it feel? It feels really trippy. Like it's the best way I can describe it. First of all, this cover, it just captures me and the essence of it so well. Like she's such an incredible artist that she was able to look at that picture and like get something in that kid's eyes that just like really comes out. So that I think 
that alone is like amazing to like see my younger self on it. And I look, <laughs> I'm an immigrant kid. I've graduated a whole bunch of stuff, including law school. I passed the bar on <laughs> the first try. Um, but no <laughs> yeah, like I, 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 I'll admit I had a few proud moments, but this one, honestly, like I feel proud because it's something that I did despite having a lot of reservations and fears and and um, there was a period of time where like I was going through a bunch of family stuff and it was hard to keep the momentum going and I did uh, so the sense of accomplishment and hearing the feedback like like again like I say you know people say oh you know for writers like family and friends come out and leave all these fake reviews I'm like have you met writers like family and friends are the like the last people who read your stuff like like it never happens so like for my husband who is who likes to be a little critical not to be mean he thinks he's being constructive and helpful and even he's like this is really good (laughs) Um, like that that matters a lot and hearing feedback from people who will like talk about their experience that it unlocked things for them like that's really unexpected. Yeah, it's powerful. Um, And I think it also redefined um, certain definitions and understandings in in my mind. I've always quasi hated when people say that writers should only write about the things they know. Hmm. And I'm like, but that makes no sense. Like, how does fiction come around? (laughs) Like, (laughs) how does that work? (laughs) Like, we can't, like, we can't just write about things we know. And having written this, I kind of redefined it in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, like my my passion, my interest through through my like I was a history major, and my high interest stuff was always immigration, mm-hmm. uh, not necessarily uh, Soviet Jewish. Although my my um, undergraduate thesis was um, Soviet Jewish repatriation to Israel, um, so that stuff was always my my high interest. Um, and having written this, I realized that I want to write more about immigrants. Um, and all of my fiction so far has always featured a character who, who was an immigrant. Mm-hmm. Uh, that wasn't the primary focus, yeah. but there was always a shade of immigration in there. So I've always worked it in. But I feel like having written this, I kind of rediscovered a passion I love that. Yeah. And I want to focus uh, more on Russian Jewish um, Soviet immigration because there have been a few waves and the experiences are very different. And mm-hmm. they're even like stratus, you know, like we've had it easy. So, so to say, because we didn't have to go through um, multiple countries and live in like refugee housing, waiting for authorities to to give the green light. We just had to get on a plane. Right. Um, so I get that. Doesn't mean that our experience was <laughs> easier once right. one landing. Yeah. But it was pretty much a direct thing. Um, so there are very different experiences within the community. For sure. I want to explore more of that. Um, kind of putting both like my my high interest history of immigration piece together with creative writing so like knowing what you know doesn't strictly need to be what you know knowing your abcs right right 
the experiences and you can work them into whatever your high interest subject is. Yeah. I so love that, that kind of burst cool. it out of like, this. Mm -hmm. is what I want to write about more now. Yeah. It's like, I've had a bunch of like interesting byproducts of this. Yeah. It's been really neat. Yeah. So, okay. My, my final question, I'm super curious. Um, I've been kind of doing some inner child stuff. I usually, usually when I hear people say that they're doing some kind of inner child work, I'm just like, Oh, I don't want to go back to my childhood. <laughs> like that was frightening. <laughs> I don't want to do any, but now that I've, I feel like I've, I've been doing so much healing around various things in my life. I'm actually embracing. I even have a picture that I keep of, of myself it like oh my god <laughs> that is adorable and and I'm really like healing that piece about not wanting to know her or love her or that that's a part of me that's who I am that's how I began and so I'm yeah. curious when you look at yourself on the cover your younger self when you've explored your story again now as an adult what does that feel like that relationship with little Marina? That is a great question because yeah, it's something I've been thinking about a lot. And um, like I said, in the beginning of, for the longest time, a lot of my experiences just prompted shame in me. Yeah. Like I felt embarrassed that I was so inadequate that I put my father through so much. Um, there is um and it's something I spoke about at his eulogy, and it was also one of the chapters where he stayed up all night doing something for me. And for the longest time, I had a copy of that, of those papers. Won't say what it means because, oh my God, I can't even say that author's name because I cannot read Jack London. Mm -mm. <laughs> uh, and I, I used to have the copy of his handwritten notes for the longest time, but every time I would look at them, they would make me feel embarrassed. And somehow in all my moves, I can't find it. I mean, I, I found so much stuff, but I can't find it. And I think along the way, because it made me feel so embarrassed, I probably parted with it, yeah. which I regret so much because now I look back at it with completely different eyes, you know, having lost my father and having become a parent myself, um, I wish I had it because now I, I, I don't look at it with shame. I look at it with like, I don't know how many parents would have done that for their children. Like truly, like, no. I, I, like, so that like changed a lot for me working mm -hmm. through it. Um, also, I understand like things differently about myself looking at my kids by like looking through that lens. Like, mm -hmm. you know, what listening to Michael Jackson meant to me. Mm -hmm. Um. I don't know how else to explain it. It was the friend I didn't have. It was an imaginary friend. And listening to that voice and to that music helped like for like solid 45 minutes of my day made lighter. Yeah. And I couldn't ex express that for the longest time. And it's only when I kind of tried to tap into my younger self as like cheesy as that sounds, <laughs> that I was able to put it in those words mm -hmm. that truly it was more than just music. It was a safe space. It was a safe time. It was my time. And I didn't have to understand the lyrics. It yeah. was just in the voice and in the music and I was in it. 
And I wish like I had the chance to say thank you to Michael Jackson, because truly like people, it might sound cheesy, but truly he made a huge difference without ever, you know, meeting me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for my mental health, I don't know if I would have made it through that year without it. Yeah. Um, so looking back on that kid now having tapped into that voice, because I did try to tap into my younger voice while still keeping some perspective mm -hmm. and grace. Um, but I think it made a huge difference. I think I see my kids a little differently now. Um, I see myself, like I understand things about myself, like the adult self, like I had to do certain things much younger than other people. You know, I cleaned houses at the age of 11. Mm -hmm. I translated for my parents from the age of 12. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm 40 now and I'm a little tired. <laughs> like, I'm kind of like, you know, like, cause I kind of started earlier. So like, I'm kind of done <laughs> and I understand now that maybe it's not laziness. No, gosh, no. <laughs> it's just like the experience kind of made me who I am. Like I know now that who I am is made of, of many things, but to a large degree, that formative year one. And that's why I called it year one instead of, you know, first year or like, yeah it's year one. Like that was the origin right. <laughs> of me. Yeah. Yeah. It's powerful. I recognize like how much we carry our entire lives that maybe we don't recognize we carry. And as we release it, we feel that, Ooh, that was a lot. I've been carrying a lot around. It's been so therapeutic. Let's yeah. I'm just going to say that's been better than therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, like, I am so grateful that you chose to follow your heart, to stick with it, never giving up, um, being with it, asking for support, and being willing to tell your story and not worrying about, not saying you didn't worry about, but not letting the possibility of other people getting upset stop you from completing the project. I mean, that's pretty powerful. Yeah, because it, it really was a stopping point for the longest time. Like the concern is still there, but I did my best to only include parts that are truly part of me and my story. Um, and the rest is just kind of out there. I, It just kind of is what it is. It's part of my story. It made me who I am. I lived through it. And like I said, it does not necessarily have to be the only truth out there. Right. Yeah. My parents, my grandma, we all lived through the same, in the same apartment with the same food stamps, but we lived them differently. Yeah. And we all, well, my grandparents have passed now, but we all have different memories of that year because they were colored in completely different colors. For sure. Yeah. Because while you're at school, having your experience... Your other yeah. members are out having their other experiences. The best experience was my free lunch. That was awesome. <laughs> I, love I ate like a horse because <laughs> my mom, like she wouldn't understand. Like, what do you mean? You ate a hamburger. Like, that's not food. Like you yeah. need a soup and you need a second course and you need a <laughs> fruit drink. Like, so I would eat it like whatever noon and then I would come home and I would eat again. And then like in three hours, I would eat again. <laughs> and it, it's amazing how we didn't like burst at the seams, but <laughs> that, that was a, eating was definitely a highlight. <laughs>
I, did I tell you this story? For ages, um, I was looking for Kanish to prompt that same memory of the cafeteria for me. Mm-hmm. I just had that word in my mind. I would try every Kanish into the sun and it I felt nothing. I tasted nothing. Yeah. That's because it wasn't a Kanish, it was a beef patty. <laughs> And it was literally a year ago, like my brother-in-law worked next to a Jamaican uh, place and he brought beef patties for dinner yeah. and I bite into it and I'm like, oh my God, this is it. <laughs> that is hilarious. Oh, what a journey. What a journey, my friend. This was great. I am like so much. Thank you so much for, for working with me on this. Um, you got the project right away. Yeah. Um, and the purpose of it and the voice of it. Um, so it was such an easy, smooth ride with you. And I so, so appreciate it. And I can't wait to do it again. I really, really appreciate it. It was, it was seriously, it was such a dream to work with you after knowing you for so many years. And, and, Mm -hmm. and I knew that for this one, just like with the, with the cover art, like for this one, like. I'm going to my like top person who I've always had in my mind's eye. <laughs> That's what I want to do on this. This is a big project, super big. So where I'm going to put links so so folks can find you and find the book. Is there any anything else you would like to add before oh. we end this party? Uh, well, I just hope people reach out to me after they read it and share their takeaways um whether they're uh native speakers or first generation or zero generation or you know came here on the mayflower well not personally that would be weird but uh yeah know what i mean (laughs) Uh, but i love hearing Mm -hmm. different takeaways because again depending on your personal background that's the takeaway you'll take you know like uh depending on which part of it which aspect of my story speaks to you and that part is the most fascinating to me and that's the most inspirational too yeah Uh, so I hope to hear from people I love it I love it all right check Marina out she's a rad human she's an amazing writer and her story is incredible so check her out and I'll see you next time